So uh, this morning we are in Genesis chapter 45. We haven't been in the book of Genesis for over a month, so I've got to bring you up to speed. Um, You're going to need a Bible. I hope you have one. If you don't, uh, we would be glad to give you some because our uh, usherettes have Bibles to hand out. So just slip up your hand if you'd like a Bible. Come on down, ladies. Slip up your hand. People are afraid to slip up their hand until they see the Bibles. So you got, they got to see that you're a real person that is able to hand out Bibles. Thank you very much. Genesis chapter 45. If you use one of the Bibles uh, from the bridge, it's page uh, 35. Genesis 45. We're going to begin at verse uh, 16. And, you know, since it's been a month, you know, we're in the story of Joseph. Now, who remembers exactly where we were? I wasn't sure that I did, so let me do some review to bring us up to speed. He was born in 1915, 1915 years before the birth of Christ. His name is Joseph. His father is Jacob. His mother was Rachel. He had 11 brothers and one sister. It was complicated, remember, because the boys had four different mothers. Dad played favorites with his children, and Joseph was the favorite. That's good for Joseph, bad for the brothers. Joseph's brothers hated him because of the special treatment. Joseph, remember, had two dreams, and those dreams seemed to picture that his whole family would someday bow bow down to him and serve him. His brothers hated him even more, so they accosted him, um, threw him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery to a caravan on its way to Egypt. That's Genesis chapter 37, and that's 1898 B.C., just in case you're keeping track of the dates. In Genesis 38, Joseph's brother Judah accidentally mistook his daughter-in-law for a prostitute. Remember that story? She got pregnant. That's not good. That's a dark chapter. In Genesis 39, Joseph, now a servant in Potiphar's house, um, was um, invited day after day by Potiphar's wife because she wanted Potiphar, she wanted Joseph to go to bed with her But because Joseph did not want to be unfaithful to the Lord or to Potiphar, his master, he refused her and ran away. But he ends up in prison because he was accused of rape. Remember that. While Joseph was in prison, Genesis chapter 40, the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph, remember, was placed in charge of everything within the prison walls. While Joseph interpreted of a couple of dreams in prison, remember that, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker? After a long time, Joseph is released from prison to interpret a couple of dreams of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Um, Pharaoh's dreams turned out to be about seven years of prosperity in Egypt and seven years of famine in Egypt. Pharaoh liked Joseph so much that he just put Joseph in charge of everything in Egypt. Kind of a big deal. Everything went great for seven years in Egypt because of prosperity. And then came the famine. And Joseph's family got hungry after two years and ran out of food. 
And they went to Egypt and met Joseph, but they didn't recognize Joseph because they thought he was dead and he looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. They didn't even know their own brother. And um, they had to humble themselves when they went to Egypt to meet the governor of Egypt. In fact, if you remember, they bowed low to the ground with their face to the ground. In Genesis uh, chapter 45, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. A very emotional scene. And uh, he finally, let, they're scared to death. One, they're not sure who it is, and they're not sure if they're going to die. But Joseph reveals himself, and he hugs them, and, and he weeps with them. Okay, today, Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 16, uh, family moving day. Moving days are a big deal. The decision uh, to move is made uh, in verses 16 through 28. The decision is made to move the family. Okay, here we go. We got two chapters to cover. So hang on. We're going to move quickly. First of all, the family is running out of food. Back in Canaan, there's a famine. They're out of food. So they have to go to Egypt. And right now, the brothers are in Egypt. Joseph has just revealed himself. And uh, we find out that Joseph's employer uh, benefits include moving expenses. So the, here's Joseph's employer's benefits, and here we're going to see those in verse 16. Look, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, uh, Pharaoh and all his f- officials were pleased. Now think about that. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the brothers are here. They're Hebrews, and uh, Egyptians don't really like Hebrews. Now why would Pharaoh be pleased about the family? I mean, you know the family. You know the story. Why is Pharaoh so pleased? Because what do you think? Guess what? Joseph, we like Joseph. Joseph's family must be just like Joseph, right? Not necessarily. Verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. So Pharaoh offers to provide a home for Joseph's family, his dad, his brothers, and their wives and kids. He offers the best land uh, available. Now, this is going to be huge. This is an agrarian economy. They, They depend on the land. They depend on their livestock. And Joseph's family is going to get the best. Verse 19, you are also Pharaoh to Joseph. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts, Moving vans for the family. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. I'm going to take care of everything, Pharaoh says to Joseph. Verses 21 through 24, moving expenses are listed. Look at verse 21. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded And he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And I don't have a clue why he did that, but I'm just going to guess, okay? They get all the provisions. 
they get everything they need. They get moving vans. They get supplies for the road. They've got to have food. They've got to have water. It's going to be several days of travel. This is a big group. They even get new clothes paid for by the employer. Benjamin gets five sets, and he gets 300 shekels. I don't know why, but here's the deal. Think about this. The, the brothers and the rest of the family get everything they need. Matter of fact, they get more than they need. I would say they're blessed, okay? But you know what? Benjamin wasn't a part of all the stuff the rest of the brothers did. Benjamin wasn't guilty of any of it. And gosh, he received quite a bit more. Is that fair? I don't know. Not if you demand equal rights. Is it fair if God blesses somebody more than he does you? Because he will. Is it fair? You get everything you need and more from God, and he decides for some reason, his own reason, to bless somebody else with even more. Okay. And then... um, Verse verse 23. And this is what he sent to his father. So dad, Jacob. This is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for the journey. So Jacob, Joseph's father, gets gifts and all the provisions he needs for this journey. He's in a pretty blessed state also. And then... Verse 24, then he sent his brothers away. Joseph sends them the way and they were leaving. He said to them, don't quarrel along the way. This is what I love about the Bible. This is so real life. You know, brothers, this is a totally dysfunctional family. And the brothers, uh, there's all kinds of lying and deceiving and immorality in their past. And, you know, Joseph knows all this and he's even heard them complain and bicker and blame each other. Uh, in his presence when they didn't think he could speak Hebrew. And so he just says, now, he just, there's going to be some talk on the way home. But no complaining. No turning on each other, okay? And do you think they're not going to pay attention? I mean, the governor of Egypt? Joseph seems to know what goes on in their minds. He seems to just be able to tell. So if they screw up, he's going to know. A little bit of accountability or small thing he says, don't quarrel on the way. So uh, verses 25 to 28, the movers arrived. Look at 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler over all of Egypt. Dad, you aren't going to believe this. And and Jacob didn't. You aren't going to believe this. We thought he was dead. He's actually the ruler of all of Egypt. He owns everything, and he wants us to come and live with him. Jacob was stunned, and he did not believe them. Well, why should he? There's been so many times that the sons have deceived their father. Why should he believe them now? It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Verse 27, but when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son is still alive, and I will go see him before I die. 
Jacob is, is older now. He's quite a bit older, and he's pretty down in the dumps. He sees death coming, and uh, not much hope for him, not encouraged by much. And then he learns that Joseph is alive. It changes everything, and he's revived. He has a new hope, a new vigor, a new inner motivation. His, his inner motivational system begins to power up with uh, hope, and he's going to see his son. Um, and for him, you know what? That's going to be enough. If I could just see Joseph, that's enough. I'll be content. I'm satisfied. I'm ready to die. Uh, he's going to live 17 more years, by the way, but we're not there yet. Number two, the family moves to their new home. Uh, verses one through, chapter 46, verses 1 through four, uh, 34. First, we have a God sighting in verses 1 through 4. God sighting. A. There we go. Thank you. So Israel set out. Who's Israel? It's who? Jacob. Yes. Same person. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. This is a big deal because this whole family is becoming the nation of Israel that will possess the land of Israel. They are becoming a nation. But right now, they're just a little family who squabbles a lot. They'll squabble a lot the rest of their history. So Israel set out with all uh, that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. This is pretty interesting. They pack up, they set out, and then, and then uh, Jacob sort of maybe has a second thought. Stop, everybody. We're going we're gonna to worship. Jacob makes sacrifices to his God. According to the Bible, it's been a long time since Jacob had done this. Jacob had been kind of spiritually in neutral for a long time. And he remembers that dad told him the story that God told Isaac, his dad, not to go to Egypt. So should Jacob go to Egypt? And I'm going to, Jacob says, I'm going to check with God on this. And he worships and he makes sacrifices to God. And God spoke to Israel in a vision that night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am the God of your father, he said. I'm God of Isaac. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. This is amazing. It's almost like God has been dormant. You have to remember, this is, this is the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs of the Old Testament. These are the big guns of God's people, Israel. And it's like God has been dormant because Jacob has been pretty far and pretty disconnected from God. And now God uh, intervenes into Jacob's life in a big way. And he says, I'm with you, Jacob. I'm going all the way. And you don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to be with you. And an amazing thing here, he states, uh, I will make you into a great nation there. Where? In Egypt. Anybody here know the rest of the story? It happens in the book of Exodus. Well, we'll just save that for a couple of weeks. But 
God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. What's that about? Well, God made a promise to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, and he affirmed it to Abraham on many occasions that God would make Abraham one man with one woman, one wife, a great nation. And they were already too old to have kids. Some of you know that story. And he gets a promised son, Isaac. And God comes to Isaac and says, God, it says, Isaac, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But Isaac's pretty small family. And then it, it's God comes to Jacob. Jacob, I'm confirming the covenant I made with your grandfather and with your father, and now it's on you. But God has been dormant for a long time. And now he speaks again. I'm going to make you a great nation there. You've got to go down to Egypt because I'm going to make a great nation out of you there. Verse 4, I will go down to Egypt with you. I will surely bring you back again. There's a promise. I will go with you. I will bring you back again. And Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. The day you die, Jacob, Joseph is going to be there with you all the way. And he's going to be the one that closes your eyes. For Jacob, uh, life looks pretty good. He hasn't seen Joseph now for 22 years. And God has promised that that Joseph will be with him at death. So now we're going to meet the family, verses 5 through 27. Genesis 46, verse 5. Then Jacob left Beersheba, that's where they worshipped, and Israel's son, that's Jacob's sons, took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the moving vans that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. And they also took with him their livestock and possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, and he took with uh, him... to. To Egypt, his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, and all his offspring. Now, the whole family is listed in the next section for your viewing pleasure. Feel free to read down through those at any time. Feel free to memorize these if you want. Um, Why are these names important? And you'll find long lists of names in the Bible. in several different places. For example, I just happened to be assigned this weekend to read First Chronicles 1 through 9. It's all names. That's my devotions. Why, did, why do we have so many names listed? It's because uh, God wanted his people to know he was keeping track of the family. And every name gets listed like this because God is tracking the promises he has made to Abraham that one day there will be a Messiah. And the whole Old Testament unfolds that story. It's why it's so important that family lineage is kept track of who are the priests and who are the kings and who will be the ultimate king who is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Another thing I want to say to you about that is, you know what? You you read these names and you think, man, this is boring. But God knew the name of every one of those people and he knew everything about them and he loved them. What does that mean for you? He knows everything about you. He knows your name and he loves you. Whether other people care or not, he cares. 
Verse 26, what a jump. Here we go. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons, his wives, numbered 66 persons. So Abraham's family is getting bigger. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with his two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went, into, went to Egypt, were 70 in all. They didn't count the wives. I don't know why, but they didn't count them, at least in this census here. So the family is 70. 66 plus Joseph, plus Joseph, plus Jacob, plus Joseph's sons that are already in Egypt. Um, 70 people. We're going to close out the book of Genesis in a couple of weeks with 70 people. This is the fam. They will become the nation of Israel. This is the family that God chose to give the Bible to. He will give all of the Old Testament to this family. They will become the nation of Israel. He will give them land. He will give them a constitution written in the word of God, a covenant for the land that he's providing for them. He will give them 613 different laws to live out in the land. He will give them promises about the future. He will tell them about the Messiah, the Christ who is to come. And it is through that family that God will bring the Messiah. Verses 28 through 30, the father-son reunion. Look at verse 28. Now Jacob, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen when they arrived in the region of Goshen. Now this is the last man who ever sent for directions. It's recorded right here. Verse 29, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Joseph greeted Judah immediately. He went out to meet uh, Judah. Uh, he went to Goshen. He, he left uh, the capital and he went to Goshen to meet the rest of the family. Goshen was the land that Pharaoh gave Joseph's family. Goshen was uh, extremely valuable land on the Nile Delta. It was great for farming people. It was extremely valuable. It was on the east end of the Nile Delta. The meeting with his father was emotional. 22 years of emotions break loose in dad's arms for Joseph. He wept. There's so much to talk about with dad. Verse 30, Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. What a rewarding moment for Jacob as a father to see the son that he thought was dead. That, that to, to hear about this whole story about how God preserved Joseph's life and, and brought him to this extremely powerful position and how God used this to save the whole family. The only reason the family is, has hope now is because of what God has done in Joseph's life. And, and, jo and Jacob is satisfied. He says, I'm content. Nothing more I want. I'm ready to go. Verses 31 through 34, the family briefing. 
Remember, the family is Hebrew. They are Jewish. That's their culture. And they're in Egypt. Egyptians don't like Hebrews historically. Their cultures are way different. The Egyptians viewed themselves as way more sophisticated than the lowly Hebrews. And so Joseph is going to be a diplomat. He's got to be the go-between between these two cultures. He understands them both, and he's got to help his family to get up to speed. Joseph doesn't want his family to look stupid before the Pharaoh. So he's got he's to speak to the Pharaoh. Verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him. So Joseph is telling them what's coming. My brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. Verse 32. The men are shepherds and they tend livestock. He's telling the Pharaoh what their occupation is. This is going to be important because the Pharaoh is going to ask them this. And he tells them exactly. They are shepherds and they tend livestock. And they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. Verse 33. Now Joseph is helping them. He's telling them what's going to happen. Verse 33. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? Oh my, there it is. That's that question. You you should answer. He's trying to tell them how to handle this delicate question with these two different cultures. Because one answer could be offensive and one answer would be appropriate. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. That's true. And then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestables to the Egyptians. He's just telling them this is the way it is. Shepherding, sheep are detestable. For Egyptians. He's offering them wisdom. He's saying, focus on your abilities here. You don't have to focus on things that are going to offend them. Okay? Joseph said, I'm going to tell them that you're shepherds and that you tend livestock. But when you go, just don't focus on the shepherding stuff. Okay? So the family arrives to a welcome reception, chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. And here we are on the uh, last Last point. We're going to meet the boss, verses 1 through 10. Look at verse 1. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, the boss, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. So Joseph is taking the proper communications, the proper protocol for dealing with a pharaoh and he is going ahead to speak to him about his family. Verse 2, he chose Joseph chose five of his brothers. I don't know. He probably picked like the tallest and the strongest. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Um, We don't know who they are. I'm assuming that Judah would have been there. um, Pharaoh asked the brothers, here it is. What is your occupation? I wonder what Joseph seemed to know that, didn't he? What is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds. Dumb answer. It's not what, that's not what the family briefing was about. Now, Joseph never asked them to lie. He just wanted them to focus on tending livestock. Your servants are shepherd, they replied, just as their fathers were. 
verse 4, they also said to him, we have come here to live a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your fathers and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen, by the way. And if you know any of them with special ability, if they're not all shepherds, put them in charge of my own livestock. That's a pretty big promotion. Not only are they given land and all the provisions they need, now they're giving high-paying jobs in Egypt. And so uh, Pharaoh's going to overlook the little shepherding thing, and uh, he's offering jobs to them. So, you know, again, what's Pharaoh thinking here? Boy, if any of them are like Joseph, this is really a good deal for me. Verse 7, then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. Um, This is a pretty big deal. Joseph's dad, who has been a shepherd from Canaan, who is a Hebrew, is now going to stand before the most powerful man in the world. In those days, it was the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful human being on the planet. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, that's interesting, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said, none of your business. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Jacob is acknowledging part of his life has been wasted. They don't match my grandfather Abraham. They don't match my father Isaac. I've had a pretty rough go of it. And he's pretty humble here. You read through some of the earlier chapters about the life of Jacob. He's pretty cocky. He's pretty confident. He, he likes to control the situation. He likes to manipulate. He's willing to deceive to get the results he wants. And he's just pretty humble here. He's 130 years old. Verse 10, then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. This is significant. This is the second time that Jacob has blessed Pharaoh. In the Bible, it's the superior role that blesses the inferior role. Jacob, God's man on the planet, who's supposed to be heading up the family of God on earth, has just blessed the most powerful human as an inferior on the planet. Uh, So he blesses Pharaoh. You know, he could have said to the Pharaoh, you know, you're a pagan king. You worship idols. Uh, You're going to go to hell. He could have said that, couldn't he? I mean, not very wise. What I'm saying is, this is a very gracious act on, on the part of one of God's people to a person who doesn't know the true and living God. He, a blessing, he wants God's grace to rest on him. He wants the very best for this person. That's a really appropriate attitude for you and your neighbors and the people around us who don't know Jesus yet to want a blessing on their life. Last two verses, getting settled. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Um, 
Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. And here's what we see. God provides for the Bible's best known dysfunctional family, doesn't he? Do they deserve it? No. God provided for them. So here's some lessons. Three lessons. Uh, Lesson number one, consult with God about your major moves in life. Consult with God about your major moves in life. As I mentioned, Jacob had sort of been on cruise control without God for many years. And then it's all of a sudden like he starts out and he goes, okay, stop. And he comes before God humbly and reengages his relationship with God. And he wants, part of what's on his mind, is it okay to go to Egypt? Is this what you want? And God confirms, yes, go. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. Now, that's just, a, I think, a good illustration. We can learn from Jacob. Consult with God about your decisions. And I know some of you are going to want to say, uh, well, we should consult with God about our minor moves too. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Go ahead and consult with God about your minor decisions too. But so many people make major decisions, and it's like an afterthought. Oh, yeah, I hope God likes this. You know, they, they get a job offer with more money and they just say yes. And, um, well, was, was God in this? There's it. Um, they go to another community. They start over. When people actually move from one city to the next, in my opinion, God moves believers for the sake of his church. His highest purpose relates to his church. So God is moving people because of church, not for your financial security. That's kind of a different perspective. It's a little bit of a... Big picture, 30,000 feet, eternal perspective. Um, so uh, don't, don't get a job or change jobs without consulting God. Don't pick your major or change your major without consulting God. Don't date or choose your mate without consulting God. Because those are past, they're going to change and have a major impact. Bring God into your decision making. Uh, don't move to a new city. Don't buy a house without consulting God because mortgages are a big deal. Okay, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Use your understanding. God has given you a mind. Use it, but use it under the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean only on your understanding. In all your ways... Putting Jesus first, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He's going to give you direction. He's going to show you the way you need to go. Matthew 6, 33, my life first. I'm still learning about it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. God's kingdom first, my kingdom second. God cares about my kingdom, my career, my life, my family, my needs, all those things. He does care. I put his kingdom first, my kingdom second. This doesn't apply to you because you don't have a kingdom, right? Number two, God is faithful to his people even when they are not faithful to him. Uh, Jacob was in neutral for years. Not a faithful guy. He was just going through the motions. He has a long history of manipulating events, getting what he wanted, lying and deceiving his family. Jacob's sons were violent and hot-headed. Sexual immorality was a big part of their story. Yet God did not give up on them. 
God didn't give up on this dysfunctional family, and he's not going to give up on your dysfunctional family. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you are attached to Jesus, and he doesn't give up on his own. Now, this isn't a freedom to just go do whatever you want. I just want you to know God is going to hang around in your life. And God is going to be faithful to you, no matter what. Sometimes God's faithfulness may mean discipline, because he's going to be faithful. He expects his children, and so he he wants to be involved in your life. Not to punish you. He wants to help you. He wants the best for you. So... um, One of the cool things about Jacob's family, Jacob's story about God being faithful, think about this. God was faithful to Jacob's family. Jacob's family was pretty crazy. But there's this bright, shining star named Joseph. One man, one person impacted the whole thing. Some of you may be in that situation where you're the one. You're trying to walk with Jesus. You want to be the bright star, and everybody around you doesn't care. God cares. He knows what's going on. He can change the whole thing because of you. Lastly, God always provides for his people. God always, always provides for his people. But he doesn't promise to give you what you want. God provided for Jacob's family. He blessed Jacob's family. He gave them way more than they needed, way more than they deserved. My question to you is, do you trust God to provide for you? or whatever he wants. Do you trust God? Or do you think you just do life, kind of work, get your money, do your checkbook, pay your bills, kind of, God is kind of on the fringe? God enables you to work. God has given you health. God has provided a job for you. He can take it away at any minute. Uh, Do you trust God to provide for you? Acknowledge him in your work. God wants you to trust him. Philippians 4.19 and my God, promise that the Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church in the first century, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You can trust that. You can take that to the bank. God will provide for all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Um, it was a promise to the church in Philippi. It's a promise for us today. So, Good news, God will provide for your dysfunctional family and mine. So consult with God about your major moves in life like Jacob finally did. Remember that God will always be faithful to you even when you are in a spiritual slump and God always provides for his people. He may use a lengthy and complicated story. It took 22 years to work out the details in Joseph's life so that he would be in a position to help his family. And that's how God chose to provide. But God will always meet your needs. Let's stand and pray. Our Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph and um, how you work and orchestrate the details of people's lives and how you work in spite of us how you worked in spite of Jacob and, and uh, many of his sons. We thank you for a model like Joseph, uh, who was faithful. Um, 
who relied on you and you were with him. And um, we see wisdom. We see you blessing through Joseph's life. God, we want to be blessed um, by you. We want to be obedient. God, help us to trust you as we uh, make decisions, as we um, ask for provision. And Lord, teach us to be faithful for Jesus' sake. Amen.